in the parables, if you look at your notes with me, in the parables we're going to read tonight, Jesus is teaching us about a specific time in the life of the kingdom. These are kingdom parables. All parables reveal to us the secrets of the kingdom. That's what we read and we saw last week. They help the believer understand how God's rules work in the life of the kingdom, how to live. You discover how to pray. Inside the parables, we discover how to approach God. We hear how we are to be prepared in our life and many more things. That's why we're taking time to, to really uh, look at the parables over the next several weeks leading up to when Rick McHugh is going to be with us for about six weeks. Now, the specific times, the parables tonight that we are talking about apply to what we call, to understand them, you've got to understand this, they apply to the church age. What is the church age? The church age is the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So why are these imparable, why are these parables specifically important to us? Because we are living in the church age that this is talking about. He's, he's breathing some instruction, some life, and some hope. Now, we're going to read uh, this passage, and there's three parables inside of this passage. You have a parable that deals with good and bad seed. You have a parable that deals with the mustard seed. And you have a very short parable that deals with leaven. I'm not going to talk about leaven tonight. I'm going to talk about leaven Sunday morning. So Sunday morning when you come in, as we go through the message, you'll hear me begin to talk about what leaven does and how, that, how this is a message to the church about who we are. And this will help you really capture that on Sunday morning. Uh, again, something very important for us to understand about the church. So if you will, let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we read from here last week, but let's go down now to verse 24. And we're going to begin to read through this first parable uh, together. He put another parable in verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master came to him and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in the gathering the weeds, you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's stop right there and we'll come back and read some more in just a few moments. Uh, tonight, as we, as we go to prayer, uh, we want to continue to pray for the Milneys family. Uh, the funeral for Betty is uh, Saturday at around noon, 10.30 to Friday. I'm sorry. Thank you. Friday, 10.30 to noon uh, is visitation and then the, then the, the funeral. Uh, Carl Eustace, who's attended here for many, many years, passed away this week. We may be praying for their family. Uh, Carl hasn't been able to be around for a while because of his illness, but good guy. Uh, so uh, keep them in your prayers as you think about them. And uh, I was up to see a young lady, a young lady girl who was in my youth group years ago today who's uh, uh, now 48 years old, and they've told her she has terminal cancer. And uh, so that's a, just remember Dawn if you think about that and pray for her. 
So a lot of people going through some really serious things, and we could name others today, but we serve a God who is great. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you uh, for the hope that you put in our hearts in moments that feel hopeless. And we pray for these families today who are going through the loss of loved ones, that you would comfort them, that you'd move in their spirits, and that, Father, the hope of what we believe would reign in our spirits today. Uh, we pray for Dawn. We pray for Ken tonight. We pray for others who are suffering with some long-term illnesses. Uh, Lord, that you just let your healing hand rest upon their bodies, we pray. Touch them and give them strength and health in their body. Tonight, as we look to your word, let us mature in faith, uh, grow in understanding so that we may be the mature, healthy followers of your Son that you call us to be. Let us be ones that hear and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what age is this parable talking about? The church age. We're in the church age. So last week, we had this picture of, a, of the farmer sowing seed, and he's just throwing it everywhere. And there's reasons why he was doing that. Again, in this parable, we see someone sowing seed. Last week, uh, there was good and bad soil. This week, it's identified as good soil and that he sowed good seed. What happens next in this story is uh, uh, something uncommon to us, but common in that day and age, an enemy has come along to this, of this farmer, and he has taken bad seed, he's seen when he's sown the seed, most likely waited till he's plowed the field and put the seed in the ground, and has come in at, at night, snuck in, and thrown bad seed uh, into the field. This was so common that there was a Roman law against it. So people would know that this happened. The enemy comes and sows the tares. It was done in spite. It was done for envy. It was done for revenge. It was just done for trying to wreck the farmer because they didn't like him. All kinds of things. Now, tares were a very specific type of weed. This is in, uh, important for you to understand. This weed that Jesus was talking about, a very specific word was used in, in Scripture, closely resembles wheat. It's hard to tell the difference until the, till they ripen and they both begin to bear their fruit. And the wheat bears its fruit and this tear would bear things that you can't eat, you can't, you can't harvest for any good now of course in any field it would not be uncommon for there to be some weeds in the field but in this circumstance it would have been obvious that someone had come along to do harm because it would be so prevalent in the field there would be so much of it that's why you know the the servant said to Jesus or said said to the farmer uh, we, did, did you not sow good seed? Because if it was bad seed, if, you, if you'd gotten a bad batch of seed from somebody, that would, it would be mixed in because it was prevalent inside of the field. The landowner sees what has happened, and, and the slaves do as well, and the slaves are ready to go into the field and to rip out the tares. They were afraid that the harvest would be destroyed or weakened by these tares, these weeds. The landowner, though, had more experience. He knew that they would cause damage to the good crop by walking in the fields. He knew that the roots would be entwined and pulling them up could also pull up the weed, especially if there was wheat that wasn't fully developed yet and was still down and growing. And he knew that in the early stages of all of this that they couldn't really tell the difference in some of it. 
that they could accidentally pull good, the good wheat with the tares by accident. So he looks at him. he says, nope, we're not going to do that. We're just going to wait till harvest time because at harvest time, it's going to be very, very clear what is what. And at harvest time, when we go to bring the harvest out, we will separate. And he says, I'm going to send the reapers in. And they're going to, these guys are good at, they're going to separate one from the other. After drawing this picture that most of them would have seen, Jesus goes on and he draws two more pictures. And I, I want to read uh, these pictures for you to do Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. He then goes on to say to them, it says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. In all three of these, Jesus is saying something to the extent of the kingdom of heaven is like this. Again, why is that important? He is saying that this is how it will be for those living in the church age. This is what the good wheat are going to discover. This is what the good are going to discover. This is how the world is going to work and things are going to happen in the church age, the age that you and I live in. Now, the first parable identifies the problem. The fields are full of weeds. He was talking to them about that, uh, about how, how they saw the kingdom at that moment with all the opposition that they were facing as a people. The question in the back of their mind almost certainly had to be, how can this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, how can it survive? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever look at the world around us and see the push that is coming on us and ask yourself, how do I raise my kids in this? How do I survive this? How is the church get through this? If you haven't been asking that question, you haven't been looking at the world very clearly. We have, we have we've, even in America, with all of our freedoms, uh, there is push against our point of view. There is push against the values that we have uh, to shut us up. In their day and age, they were opposed by the Jewish leaders who controlled almost everything. These Jewish leaders could control whether they worked or not. They could control, control commerce. It, it, and if, you, if the Jewish leaders didn't like you, they could shut you down in a hurry. They, were, they would be opposed by the Roman power that was definitely not just going to joyfully align with them. There was pressure on that side of things. There were the idol-worshiping countries that were not going to just lay down their idols, as we'll see as you read through the rest of the New Testament, and jump in and join them. And they were looking at the people that were followers, and even the people who followed did not have great commitment. There wasn't a great commitment on it. They didn't understand it all. They were, a lot of them were there for the free food. They were there for the miracles. They were there for the wonders. And so they're asking themselves, how could the kingdom survive? And today, you might ask yourself, boy, with, 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 uh, with the way Hollywood is impacting our culture, how do we maintain a Christian culture? With the way our entertainers today 
are, are presenting their lives and celebrating what is ungodly, so many of them. How do we survive in the middle of a culture that is speaking into our children's lives and, if we're not careful, impacting our lives? Uh, with politicians that are grasping a hold of that which is ungodly for the sake of a vote. How do we survive? Even we look at some judges and we wonder, well, how are we going to get through this? Even, even some educators who have sway over the thought processes in our universities and even in our, in our grade schools and high schools. How do we maintain a Christian culture in the middle of that? And even those at times who call themselves Christians but deny the power of God and the power of His Word and have given in to cultural norms. It seems like there's a lot of pressure aligned against the church in America today. Have you noticed that? Am I the only one paying attention to that? And so the question can come into our mind. This is why this scripture is in the Bible. Jesus doesn't deny the picture, but he uses two parables to promise that the kingdom was not and the kingdom is not in danger. And we'll talk about one of those tonight. The first one I want to talk about, the one I want to talk about tonight primarily is he takes them to the mustard seed. Now, this parable has been used by many scoffers, and this is, again, an important thing for you to know because you may run into this sometime, to try to undermine the authority and the divinity of Jesus. This is one of these places where they will go into this Scripture and they'll say, see, this is why you cannot believe Scripture. Why? Because it apparently says, Jesus says, it's the smallest of all seeds. That, this, is, this is used uh, to say the Scripture is, in, is not uh, errant-free, that, that there's er errors in the Scripture. And it's used to say that Jesus is fallible. Now, why? Because there are other seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. The wild orchid, which would have been, which they would have known about in that day and age, is a seed that was smaller than the mustard seed. The problem that we have with this is, is, is a problem of translation. The word Jesus uses in this passage that we have translated as seed is the word sperma. In the New Testament, this word is always used to talk about plants that grow food. It's an agricultural term, an agricultural plants. Jesus was saying, and they would have clearly understood it in that day, that the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds that they would plant in their garden. Now, we don't get that in the translation. They would have understood it very clearly. He was talking about their gardens. So he tells them, the mustard seed, smallest of, of all the seeds you plant in your gardens. The other place that it's attacked is, that, is the exaggerating side of the mustard plant. And they'll show you and they'll talk about mustard plants and so many of them are very, very small. They don't grow very big. Birds certainly cannot rest upon them. But what they forget and what the people who attack Scripture don't want us to remember is that there are many varieties of a mustard plant. And yes, many of them are small, but not all of them. The ones that grow predominantly in Palestine and in Israel are not small at all. In Palestine, they will grow to be 12 to 15 feet tall. And so they're going to throw a picture at, I may throw, somebody may throw a picture and say, look how small this is. Jesus is talking about birds. Right? That can't, that's because they're not talking about the same variety of a, mustard, of, a, of a mustard plant. 
Proverbially, in the, in the Near East, the mustard seed was used as a way of saying things were very small. That comes out in, not just in Christian writing, but in a lot of other writing. So here is Jesus' main point. Here's the main point of this whole thing. The main point of the illustration was that the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, right now is very small. It's like a mustard seed. But that one day, it would be a very large body of believers. His promise was that even though all of these things seem to be coming against us, that this mustard seed that seems small to you, that seems like all the powers are aligned against you, this mustard seed is going to grow into a plant. This very small beginning was going to grow. Today, we know that it covers the world. Even in countries that are closed to religious freedom, the church still exists and still reaches out and sees people get saved. The church is now around the world and is a blessing around the world. The kingdom would start small is what Jesus was, was saying, but it would grow to be a blessing to the world. Any person, any family or country that begins to follow the teaching of Jesus finds itself blessed. You know, Sunday night, if you were here, what a great time we had Sunday night with, with the group. And, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd sat that day and, and heard Jeff's story about his family, and I didn't want him to get out of here without you guys hearing that story. But this, this miracle, when you think, here is, you think about what the gospel does in people's lives. An abusive great-great-grand, a great-grandfather, rather, abusive great-grandfather, alcoholic, you know, just a mess in the, in the home, abusive in the home. And he was gentle with it, sharing the story Sunday night. And then this seven-year-old boy in the home, one of the youngest sons, gets saved and compels the dad to come on a Friday night, and the dad gets saved. Transformational moment. And then they begin to pray, God, if you'd bless it. Finally, the wife gets saved. Then they begin, God, if you'd be so good as to let one of our kids go in the ministry. And ends up all 12 of the brothers and sisters, the whole group of them. All six of the boys became pastors. All six of the girls were pastor's wives. God, when he moves, what, what Jesus was saying was about the birds of the air come and rest in them. When the gospel begins to rest in any country, when the gospel begins to rest in any family, when the church lets the gospel rest inside of it, when we as individuals let the gospel rule in us, it brings blessing. The gospel brings life and change into our lives. As in that family, it changes them relationally. They begin to see each other differently. We begin to treat each other differently. This is one of the great signs that you've been saved is that you get changed. It begins to rip out prejudice. And all the prejudices that the enemy stirs up in our life begin to get ripped out of our spirit because the love of God just won't allow them to stay there. It begins to impact our morality. All of a sudden, the things that we accepted that were immoral, we no longer accept. This is one of the key signs that we've been saved, is that when we're going to get our life morally straightened up, not because of law, but because of desire. It begins to bring justice. It lifts up dignity for women. You look at countries where Jesus and where Christianity is espoused and there's some form of Christianity working their way through it. It's very natural for the dignity and the role of women to change. You look at countries where the gospel is not there and to this day around the world, women are in slavery in many of those countries. 
It brings about prison reform. It brings about new freedom. It, the gospel begins to resolve crime. We, when, when, a, when a country grows in faith, it begins to bring righteousness. Unrighteousness is a disgrace for any nation. And the same thing is true in our lives. This is what Jesus was saying to us in a, in a very simple illustration. Listen, the, the, the birds of the air are going to come and rest inside of this. They're going to learn and they're going to grow. So here's our, our message. We are called to grow in faith. We are called to grow in action so that we will be the people that others are drawn to in time of need. The church is supposed to be that. Whenever the church lives like the church, the community is blessed. Listen, we're not called to come here and hide out. We're called to come here and strategize about how we can go out, how we can do things to make our community better. We are called to live to this end as the church, this local church. We are called to serve our community. Now, here's the challenge for that. You individually, me individually, we're called to serve our community, to see things that we can do, and to serve others, to make the world a better, to open the doors for people, to be gracious, to be kind in our, in our, in our words, you know, to let people in on the street, to be kind to the waiters and waitresses, to be gracious to the people at work, to show the light of the gospel to our family and to others in every action that we do. The Bible tells us that's more important than getting our way. Are you hearing me? This graciousness. Individually, we're supposed to be lights of the world walking around, bringing light into the darkness, being a place that they see the peace of God. Our families are supposed to be like that. We're supposed to look at our families and, say, and challenge our families and our children. Let's be people of grace. Somebody mistreated you at school. Somebody mistreated us. We're going to be people of grace. We're going to show the light of the gospel. See two group leaders that are here. I just want to challenge you tonight. You know, I, I love that you meet. I love that you do these things. These are all great things. But can I just challenge you to really pray about this? Pray about at least once a year. Looking at your group and saying, how can we go serve our community together? What could we go do? Could we go down to Kumla and you know, serve a meal on a Tuesday night? Could we go out to Hope Thrift Center and, and help out there for a night? Is there some other need that we know of? Is there somebody who's going through a rough time that we can go bless them and help them and do something? What could we as a group? Let me tell you, your group will get tighter. You'll have more life together as you serve together. You'll just find life in the service. Uh, as, a, as a church as a whole, we need to look for places, and when we give ourselves opportunities to do those things, we should all jump in and celebrate these opportunities that, as a church, to serve our community. Now, I'm just going to tell you, those are good things, those are great things. That's not the, we can't just do those and say we've done our duty. That's not what the real, the real plan of God is for all of us daily to be the light of the gospel, to be kind to people, to be loving to people, to be engaged with people, to be friendly with people, to thank people, to show the light of the gospel to people, to live morally and righteously and in a holy way in front of them no matter what's going on. And we have the opportunity to serve, to serve people. When the church does that, that's a good thing. When we do it as a whole, that's a good thing. When we do it in small groups, that's a good thing. But this is where we're called to be. We're called to be this mustard seed that is growing in a community so that people in need can come and rest there. The church is to the world what a believing spouse is 
to an unbelieving partner. Did you, did you get that? The church is to the world what a believing spouse is to an unbelieving partner. We're walking through this life with a people that God has put in our generation and we are called to be the believers not caught in their culture but living the light of the gospel. Now we're going to go into that a little bit more Sunday when we talk about loving. But let's go on to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 again. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds, went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Now, they don't ask about the leaven, and they don't ask about the mustard seed. They didn't ask about those because they got it. They understood he was talking about who they were and what they were supposed to be. So he answers them. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Psalm 78 is most likely the reference that he's talking to, talking about when Asaph uh, uh, makes this statement about parables. In our first parable last week, the seed was the message of the gospel. So tonight, I want us to take notice of some things. He identifies here the sower as the son of man. This title uh, was used by the Jews to refer to the coming Messiah. So he's clearly telling them that the Messiah... The Son of Man is the sower. This is a title that Jesus used many times to refer to himself. He called himself the Son of Man. So someone, you know, there's many, many arguments. But every now and then you'll have to come across somebody and they, they really think they're clever. They'll say, I've read the Bible and Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. I mean, that is just so ludicrous. And if you, if, you don't, if you haven't read the Bible a few times, you get lost. Here's one of the places, one of the proof texts that proves that wrong. Jesus right here claims, he claims on many occasions to be the Son of Man, which means he's the Son of God and that he's the Messiah. So the picture that he shows is that the Son of Man is sowing into his own field. What is his field? He owns the whole world. He owns everything. Doesn't matter what governments say. Doesn't matter what people say. God owns everything. And he is sown into the world. Some people, and you, you may hear this from time to time, some people mistake this to be this, this, this parable to be a message about the world being in the church. This is not a message about the world being in the church. As one writer put it, this is a picture of the church in the world, not the world in the church. Do you get that? This is a picture of us, believers, in the world that God owns. Good seed that he's sown into this world 
and an enemy has sown bad seed into this world. So the, the seed here is who? The seed is the sons of the kingdom. The seed is believers. And the Bible's telling Jesus is saying, I'm going to sow believers into the whole world. Into the whole world. Jesus plants his seed, the sons of the kingdom, throughout the world. Has that happened? That has definitely happened. We have been planted right here in this community. God loves Springfield, Illinois so much, he put the best right here. Amen? Amen. He put us right here with the call to be fruitful right here. To reflect his will, to show his glory in a wicked and corrupt generation. As sons, as sons of God, we are in, on assignment in God's field. We are supposed to grow in fruit in God's field. The tares are the sons of the evil one. Now, he doesn't go into all this, but let's understand it. We were all a part of that group at one time. We were all a part of the tares at one time. But through the miracle of rebirth, through the miracle of God's transforming power, we were changed from being tares into being wheat. Amen? This is why he doesn't rip it out until harvest time. There's still a harvest. There's still more to be transformed. There's still growth to happen. And if he, if he, if he came in and said, I'm not going to see somebody, well, if I was God, I don't know why he lets that guy live on this earth or not take another step. I'd, you know, why didn't God stop him? God's, we're in the church age. We're in the church age. And the wheat's still growing. And we can get confused about what the long-term fruit's going to be. We can get confused about that. Our fruit is to grow more sons of God. Now, the harvest represents the end of the age. What age? What age are we in? The church age. The harvest represents the church age. The day's going to come when Jesus comes the second time. And when he comes the second time, remember, the wheat and the tares are going to be identified. They're going to be identified by their fruit, by what they're growing. Because if you've been born again, the natural thing that's going to come out of you is the fruit. We talked about those fruits last week, remember? We talked about the fruit of the Spirit in us. We talked about the gifts, uh, the gifting and the working of our working in people's lives. We talked about all these different fruits last week that need to grow in us and the work of the kingdom. It is natural for a person who's been transformed to produce fruit to produce a lot of fruit. And so he's going to be looking for it. Here is the important lesson. The church age is not an age of judgment. We don't know yet what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to take place. Now, I, a few months ago, a few years ago, I, I watched uh, uh, a television interview and how many of you remember the son of Sam? How many, how many of you remember him? Son of Sam was a, a mass murder. Is a mass murder. Uh, he murdered a lot of people in New York City, and uh, he he put a lot of demonic symbols on the things that he did, and it was really a frightening, frightening time until they caught him, and he ended up in, in jail. Now I, I, I they're interviewing him. And now it's been, I don't know how many years, 20, 25 years or more since he's, and, and he's telling them uh, about his first, time, first years in jail and what happened in his life and uh, how drugs and alcohol had really messed up his life and, and messed him up and, 
And he's saying, you know, since I've come in here, I've really I've come to know Christ. My life has really been transformed. And he's sharing with them about the transformation of his life. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm just telling you, your pastor can be pretty skeptical at times. And I'm looking at this guy going, yeah, you know, right. And, and the, he, 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 I was still on that skeptical. Where he flipped the switch for me was when they looked at him and they said, so you think because you've been changed by God, they were skeptical too, that you should get out of jail. And he looked and he said, uh, I should never get out of jail. And they said, what? He said, look, what I did was such a terror and a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, so horrendous in society. I hurt so many people, so many families. I should never be let out of jail. But God has given me a ministry in the jail. Now, I hope, that's, I hope he's sincere in that in every way, don't you? Because if that's, if that's the case, and I know people where that has been the case, uh, I can tell you story after story of people that that has been the case, that you know, in the midst of that moment, somewhere in that jail cell, God transforms a life. And what you'd have thought was a tear ends up being wheat. God doesn't pass, God's not passing that judgment. He's not, he's not smiting people down right now. He's not doing that right now. We're in the church age. This is the age of grace. It's the age of mercy. And so the church age in this time of grace where God is patient, he calls us to be patient. Today, even though many reject God, the whole earth is still seen as God's kingdom. He is still the rightful king. And someday he will come to claim what, he, what is his. Until then, by the grace of God, we're called to minister his grace to others so that those who are really weak, that may look like tares right now, will, be, will, will grow and become the wheat that God would have them to be. The day's going to come when the angels will gather up the believers, and eventually they'll gather up all those who are stumbling blocks, those who entice others to stumble. My guess is that this is sometime right before the millennial age. Jesus doesn't say when, but he says the end of this age, and that's, that's about it right there. And he's going to get those who commit lawlessness. What is this? These are people who have rejected God's law outright and reject it and won't receive it. Now listen to the sobering part of this in 2 Thessalonians 1.5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So you know, while we're on this earth, there's some suffering in the kingdom of God. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's an awesome picture, isn't it? We look at that and we see the glory of the promise, but we also see the righteous judgment of God for those who reject him. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know what? Hell was not prepared for us. was not meant for us. You go to hell over the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. You have to reject him. Reject what he would do in your life to find your way to hell. But friends, we live in an age where culturally, the cultural push is, oh, nobody's going to hell. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's in a better place. 
at God, you know, loving God's not going to send everybody to, to anybody to hell. But God is a just God. It's his love that puts us in the church age. It's his love that leaves us here today in this age. The day's going to come when he's going to say enough of this pain and suffering. And he's going to send his angels and the church is going to get captured out of the field. And then judgment's going to begin. And we could talk a lot about how that's going to happen and throughout, throughout the tribulation time and even into the millennium. But friends, our job now is to understand who we are and where we are. If you're born again, you're the son of God. You are good seed planted in the field. And you're supposed to bear other good seed planted in the field. And he's going to protect his seed. And the day's going to come when even though there's some suffering for us today, when God's going to say, uh, it's time for me to bless those who suffered. Amen? So this is kingdom age stuff. Is this good stuff tonight? So here's the call. Until he comes, let us be serious about bearing fruit. Let's be serious about our nature being transformed. Let us be serious about the places where he's planted us to bear fruit in those places. Let us be serious about the church he brings us into and the gifts he calls us to use. Let us be serious about bearing fruit. Amen? Listen, I, I'm telling you, we hear a lot of great stories uh, about what God does, and you know, we, we like to see, you know, masses. Uh, but you know where, where God really touches the most people? He touches the most people one-on-one -on -one through somebody in their life being a faithful light of the gospel until they come to Christ. That's why we're asking you over these next several weeks to pray about who God would have you minister to, to spend some time with them, to share, to take some point in time in the next several weeks and share the gospel with them, to take some time in the next several weeks to invite them to come on the Sunday morning, Mark Perky's here, and say, hey, come here, my, come here, our, the friend of our church who just gets here, wants to come and hear this guy. He's got something good to say. And let's all be praying that on that day, there is a harvest time of people that maybe we thought were tares that are really just pre-wheat. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's come down around the altar for a moment together tonight. Father, my first prayer tonight is that when we read these passages in the future, that, Lord, uh, we will see them with new light, new understanding. If somebody tries to attack one of these passages, we'll be able to defend the truth of your word. And that, Lord, we will see ourselves as, as who we are called to be, uh, the wheat planted in your field. When we go into work tomorrow, let us re be reminded. I I'm wheat planted in this field. We're in our neighborhoods this week and this weekend. Let us be reminded. When we're with our friends and with our families that are lost, let your spirit remind us. Bear fruit today. Be gracious. Be kind. Be patient. Be filled with joy. Be gentle. Let the fruit of your spirit come flow through us so that those who right now seem to be tares can become, can see the light of the gospel and, see the, and, and grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, my experience, and I've been reading the Bible since I was challenged as a, as a young boy here at church to start reading the Bible. And, uh, and every time I read it, I think, oh, now I get, I get that. There's always something fresh and always something new, a new revelation. And uh, this is why sometimes I'll say, many, many times I'll say to somebody, listen, uh, go to the book of James, 
read it five times. Just every day, read it once for a week. It won't take you long. It won't take you long. But what? You're going to start to get it. You're going to start to see things you didn't see the first time through. Take your time. Read it. Talk about it. Talk to your spouse about it. Uh, what's it saying to you? What are you picking up? Because there's, there's deep messages inside of there that we don't want to just have up here. We want to have down here. And the Word of God is living. It's going to apply itself to your life. And, and the Holy Spirit's going to recall, bring recollection to you when you need it. Now, as you get comfortable reading the Bible, and you read the Bible enough, then you get comfortable even when you don't remember where something, you get comfortable with how to find it, how to go get it, how to go dig it out. And the, and the Bible becomes this real tool. You will never know the Bible. You'll know a lot of things. But the Spirit will bring revelation to you where He needs to bring revelation to you. And as you're reading, it's going to be doing a transformational work in your life. This is why we say to you, read the Bible. Start reading the Bible. And if you've never done that before, uh, I would encourage you, don't just go get a Bible and start at the first page. Come talk to somebody. Talk to somebody in your small group. Talk to one of the pastors. How should I start on this? And let us help you get started in a way that will bring life uh, to you. Lord, let us go out of this place today uh, showing your love to people. Uh, I, I thank you for the men and women who have taken time to come here tonight. I pray their faith would be strengthened from this message. I pray that, Father, our love for each other would be clear in a lost world. I pray that the barriers that the world puts up of, that separate men and women of age and gender and race and education and all those things inside of your house would just clearly be torn out. And we would love each other and want the best for each other and serve each other and be patient with each other. So, Father, we thank you for your love and your grace for us, and we humbly stand before you today. Father, humbly stand before you as, as men and women who need your grace and pray you'd help us to stand in the face of every disappointment, in the face of every attack, uh, Father, in the face of, of every trouble or turmoil and represent you well. And Father, your word teaches us that, uh, uh, that Father, sometimes the biggest tests are tests of our pride when we're honored. Father, when we succeed, when we have your blessing, let us always be a people who are humble, who remember you gave us the blessing. It comes from you. And let us never be full of personal arrogance in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, you know people whose hearts are hurting tonight. You know people who have real turmoil in their spirit tonight. Touch them. Lift them up tonight. Let them know you're thinking of them and you're watching over them. And your moment of deliverance is coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord tonight.